You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. This morning we're going to conclude our margin series that we began three weeks ago. And I, I think this morning is pretty, pretty, uh, has, a, has a chance, if we get around the idea of it, has a chance to cause us to really reorient our lives and, and kind of reevaluate what we're about and what we're going to do with our lives. And certainly this series has been about what we do with our time. Here's how we've defined margin throughout this series. We've said that, said that margin equals the space between our limits and our load our load and our limits. And here's what we say is that, that God, though we see our limits as kind of the enemy, God has set those boundaries, our limits, our capacity. He's given all of us unique capacity, relational capacity, financial capacity. He's given us emotional capacity. And certainly we all have the same time capacity, right? We get frustrated at the 24-hour thing, but God is the one who's put that limit upon our lives. And there's, there's intention behind that and there's purpose behind that. And so, so we've said that what, what margin is, if there's any space that exists between what we can ultimately do, like here's our 100% mark, right? And, and here's the load we're currently carrying on a daily or weekly, monthly, or this season of our life basis. And if there's no space there, then there's no margin. And if there's no margin, we're headed for trouble really, really quickly, we've said. And so we've talked about in the first week that you and I need to be really careful with how we spend our minutes and our hours and our days and our weeks and our months, because ultimately what's going to happen is however we spend our time, that will ultimately truly be how we spend our lives. And sometimes we think of those as disconnected, but they're really, they're, one is the same as the other. How we spend our hours, our, our days, ultimately our months, even our years, our decades, will one day be how we spend our lives. And so we talked about, let's be intentional with how we do that. And Moses said in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, he said, God, would you teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom? And we said that with a heart of wisdom, we can begin to reorient our lives and create margin for the things that really matter the most. And we'll continue down that thread this morning. And then last week we said, Here's the thing. We all know when we're physically exhausted, that's kind of all over our faces. But what we don't always know is when our spirit or our soul is completely exhausted, right? And then we said, if you don't have margin in your life, it's hard to have time for God to renew and replenish and really remake and restore your soul. Because we can't have God restore our soul if we're always on the run. We've got to pause. We've got to take a break for a moment. We've got to say, hey, God, as I head into this productive day, because God's for productivity, he's for work, he's, he, he is a worker, he is the first worker, if you really look back at the book of Genesis. But we've said that if we don't pause for some moments throughout a day, or, or certainly seasonally, then, we, then we, can't, we can't receive the love that God wants to drop on us, that he wants to lavish upon us, that that's what he wants to do. But it's hard to catch a bunch of love when we're running all the time, right? And we said that, listen, God, he wants us to have our souls nourished. And so we looked at the story of Mary and Martha, and Mary says, I'm just going to sit here at the feet of Jesus, listen, soaking up his teaching. Martha's busy doing things. And, and we said, we've got to take some time to go, hey, God, I need you to fill me. I need you to replenish me. I need you to nourish me without margin. It's impossible. We also said that if we've had a vision from God maybe years ago, we continue to pursue that vision unless we pause to see if that's still what God is even doing in our lives. So many people are running so fast, and I see so many people running so fast after the thing that God either never had for them or no longer has for them. And so we said, how can we get our mind wrapped around this idea that God does want us to be productive? God does want us to work. He does want us to make things. That's his nature as well, but it's not 100% of the nature, right? Because he also wants to do things in our soul. He wants to heal us. He does that through relationship. He does it through a lot of things. But what he cannot do it through is absence of margin. I really believe that, and it's hard, and it seems like as I've been talking about margin, I don't know about anyone else, but I've had more pressure about this in my life than any other series I've ever done. Like, as we begin talking about margin, I've shared with a friend this week, like, man, this is crazy. I've had to really try to live this out, and has it been easy for anybody else? 
living out margin, pushing things back, rescheduling, canceling, quit, quitting being a people pleaser, anybody else. It's very, very difficult. I think margin plays into all of the, these aspects of our life. Here's what I want to do this morning. The title of the message this morning is, Fill the Margins. Fill the margins. Now, you may be thinking, Ben, that makes no sense. If margin's very important, why would we fill it? Well, here's what I want to say. It's not just filling it with aimless time. It's filling it with things that are life-giving and things that God has laid out as the way the world works. So it's not just like, hey, here's what the Bible says, though it does. There's a way in which God has made this thing to work. There's a way in which you can fill your margins with people and with activities and with things that are actually life-giving. And so that's what I want to be about. Here's the big idea for this morning, and it may sound much more simple than it actually is to live it out. Here's the big idea. You and I need to fill our margins with active, loving relationships. We need to fill our margins with active, loving relationships. And I want to say this that may sound heretical, which means you may think what I'm about to say is completely not true. actually goes against what God says. Here, here, here it is. Okay, here's the big disclaimer for the morning. While God wants us to love everyone... I believe it's crazy to think that God wants us to love everyone the same, in the same capacity, to the same degree, and with the same focused attention. Before you argue with me, I want to ask a question and then give an example, okay? So we may talk a lot like, hey, God wants us to love everyone, and we assume when we hear that's true, by the way, all right? That, isn't, that would be heretical to say that's not true. That is true, by the way. But to assume that God wants us to love everyone in the same capacity, to the same degree, with the same attention, that's crazy. And, and here's how I can ask you with a question. Do you want every one of us in the room to love your spouse in the same degree, with the same capacity, and with the same focus attention as you do? No, I hope, Right? We've got other classes for that subject matter, and uh, my good friend Kim McCord will be teaching those. So uh, just, uh, but that's not where we're going this morning. Here's the example I want to give you. I'm going to give you an example. I I feel like it's one of those things like, all right, there's great men and women in the Bible, but like if I can prove it to you from the life of Jesus, it makes it that more impactful, right? And so that's what I want to do. I want to show you how Jesus himself did not live out the principle of giving the same amount of love, the unique special kind of love to everyone on the planet, all right? So there were the crowds in Jesus's ministry, true? And so Jesus would say things, it was, the text uh, throughout the gospels would say, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion. It would say that Jesus looked down over Jerusalem and he felt like he was sorrowful. He felt like they were uh, sheep without a shepherd. It would say that Jesus began to speak to the crowds. Jesus would do miracles with the crowds. Jesus would heal many in the crowd. Sometimes the text would say Jesus would heal all in the crowd. So did he have great love for the crowds? Yes. All right. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, he's healing you. He's teaching you. He's got compassion. He's got great love, but he's got something different for the disciples still. Right? So then he calls these 12 men. And when a rabbi would call it a disciple, basically that would result in this life-on-life relationship. Like they would do everything together, this whole idea of apprenticing. So he, would, he calls these 12 men. And these 12 men, literally, you guys know the story. It's, it, it, we can't, can't do this maybe in today's world. But, but some of them are, are, are fishermen. And it's their job. It's their livelihood. But Jesus calls them into this discipleship, mentor-mentee type relationship. And they drop their nets, Right? 
In fact, the text says, I'm, I'm guessing because they were tired of fishing, but that's a whole other theory. Um, the text says that when Jesus called them, they immediately dropped their nets, and then they went and followed him. And they followed him everywhere. When they were with him, whatever Jesus was doing, they were a part of. They were observing it. Jesus would call the 12 together and say, hey, this is what this is. Here's what that parable meant when I was teaching the crowd. This is what I want you to know. This is how I want you to love. This is how I want us to live, right? They got to see things that the crowds didn't get to see. The crowds aren't at the Last Supper, are they? Jesus has, it's kind of that whole idea in mind. Like, yes, he loves the whole world, but when it's time to spend that last supper time together, he's inviting around, it's just the 11, right? Judas has kind of uh, gone astray. And, and so he's got the 11, and he's got this unique, loving relationship with these disciples. But yet, if we slice it even thinner, there's these three, Peter, James, and John, and he has a unique relationship with those three that he doesn't have with the other nine. Does he love the other nine? Yes. But he has something unique going on with Peter, James, and John, right? They're seeing him transfigured up on the mountain. When he's sorrowful, overwhelmed to the point of death in his soul before he heads to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's got three guys with him. The other nine aren't there. Peter, James, John. But to slice it even thinner, out of those three, Peter, James, and John, there's one that he had the most special, at least according to the Bible, relationship with. Who is it? Anybody know? John. John's nickname, check this out. Now, John gave himself this nickname. This is what really, really interesting. If you read the book of John, this is where this nickname shows up. John was known as the one, how would you like to be known as this? The one whom Jesus loved. What if that was on your name tag this morning? It seems so arrogant and preposterous, right? But there was something unique, not just about Peter, James, and John within the 12, but there was something unique about what Jesus and John had together. There was something really special So the 12 didn't get everything John got. Peter and James didn't get everything that John got, right? And I can only imagine how that went down, with Peter especially. But then John, it tells us a few times in the Gospel of John, he's the one whom Jesus loved. When Jesus is about to die on the cross, he asked one person to take care of his mom. Who is that? John. So here's what I'm advocating for this morning. Should we love the world? Yes. Should you love your bosses even when it's difficult? Yes. Should you love the people you see everywhere? Should you love the people in your aerobics class? Absolutely yes. But that's not the kind of love that I'm speaking of this morning. I'm saying that God has put certain people in our lives to love and live out that love in a unique way. And if we're not careful, here's what we do in regards to margin. We end up giving all of our time to people that God didn't want to be in that inner circle while neglecting the people God has put in the inner circle. You're like, Ben, this sounds really exclusive. Listen, first of all, remember, when you hear me say something, go back and listen to other things that I've said. So understand, we're going to talk about how God's a global God, absolutely. He loves the world, absolutely. But when it comes to these unique personal relationships, there are some circles that God wants certain people in, and he never wants other people to get in those. Like, Ben, uh, heretical, Ben. Listen. Jesus himself, when he walked on this earth... There were some people that had access to him that others did not. Now, we know the beautiful thing about post his death and resurrection, ascension back into heaven, that he now resides or lives in all of us through the Holy Spirit. And so we do have equal access in this room. But as he modeled personal relationships with his own disciples, he lays out this principle. And here's my big fear before we get going this morning. My big fear is that I am doing this and you are doing this. We are giving more time to people that God never meant to take that much time from us. 
and we're giving less time, sometimes no time, to the people that God's really put us in close proximity with. And so this morning, I just want to know, could we perhaps reevaluate what we're doing, what we're giving ourselves to, what we're thinking about in terms of what's really valuable and most important? And I want you to evaluate this too. I don't want to be harsh this morning. Let's evaluate what we say is true about our values and priorities versus what our schedule shows us is true about our values and priorities. So I want to start in Matthew chapter 22. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got people coming down the aisle with Bibles ready to pass out. They're actually having a competition seeing who can pass out the most. So uh, raise your hand quickly. We'll be in Matthew chapter 22, first book of the New Testament. If you receive one of these Bibles, you've got one right here on the third row, one right here. If you receive one of these Bibles, coming down the road right there, page 537 on the Bibles that we, and this is yours to keep, unless you don't like it for some reason. This is, this is yours to keep, so mark in it, uh, whatever that looks like. Page 537, Matthew chapter 22. Here's what's just happened. Uh, Jesus has just talked with one of the religious groups called the Sadducees. And here's the big Sadducees hang up when it came to religious matters. They thought the resurrection was preposterous. They thought that it was a made-up thing, that it wasn't legit. Jesus tells them that, of course, it's legit. And now you're going to see him come into this conversation with the other religious group, which are the Pharisees. So would you guys stand as we read chapter 22, verses 34 through 40? When I get to verse 36, I want to pause for a moment just so we understand what's being asked. and, And then we'll get back to it. So here we go. 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, it was around this idea of resurrection, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They said to Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Pause for a moment. Let me have your attention. The scribes uh, came up with a a list of the commands, what we know as our our Old Testament, right, from the Torah, which was the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they said there were 613 commandments, that there were 248 positive precepts, which meant they were commands, hey, do this, do that, whatever. And then they said there were 365 negative precepts or negative commands that said, make sure you don't do this, don't do that, and never do that thing over there. And so all the rabbis, the scribes, they had 613 commands. And so when they come to Jesus and they're asking him which is the greatest, they have different schools of thought, just like we would have opinions. In fact, they put the commands in one of two categories, light commands that were important but not as important, and then what they would call the heavier commands, right? Things that like this is the big weighty stuff. But even among the heavy commands, there was lots of different interpretations among the rabbis by which was most important. So one would say it's this, or one would say it's that. So what they're asking Jesus, hey, we know you know all 613 commands. Let us know which is legit, which is number one, which is the summit on the mountain of all the commands. And then we get in verse 37, and and just wanted you to understand what's going on there. Verse 37, and he, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer Pharisee, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You may be seated. So they said to Jesus, out of all 613 commands, which is the great one? Which is most important? Which is, what what is the summit there? What's the all-encompassing command? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. They're probably not surprised at this answer. This command shows up in Deuteronomy 6. It's part of what was known as the Shema. It's what Jewish families would say every day. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. So so that's probably not the surprise. And remember, they asked for a singular command. They want to know what is the one. Like out of 613, we don't want a group of them. We don't want the light and heavy thing. We've got that. What's the one? And Jesus says, well, the one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. 
They don't ask for a second one, but Jesus gives them the second one. And this is where I want our focus to be. He says, the second is like it, meaning the second is similar to it, meaning the second is linked to the first one. And he would say in his word, 1 John chapter 4, to say that you love God but not love your brother, you're actually a liar. And so there's no way to have this one thing going on with God and something different going on with our neighbor. In fact, Jesus would say that all the law and the prophets hang on these two. That everything else flows out of these two. That everything else that you and I will ever do. So whatever you do with your life, whatever you produce with your life, whatever you accomplish with your life, Jesus says, here's the thing that matters most. Whatever you increase in knowledge and whatever you do uh, production-wise. And hear this, God is, as I've said before, he's a producing God. He wants you to do something with your life. He wants you to go after it. He wants you to accomplish the things that he has put you on earth to do. He wants you to be a doer. All right, before you guys think I'm the detachment guy, like, oh, just go, just get along with God. That's not what I'm talking about. God wants you to work. He wants you to do, especially those things that are in line with what his will is for the world in general and specifically for your life. He wants you to do that. But he also has this question, not just what are you going to produce, but how are you going to love? How, how, are, how are you going to love? How, how's your love? How is your love and what is love? Love is that, that self-sacrificing, not feeling right. You don't have to have a certain song on, all right? Though, guys, that would, that would help things with your wives, all right? You don't have to have something played in the background. Flowers don't show up every day, although some of you may have to do that if you've, you know, been in the doghouse. He, he's asking, how's your love? How are you going to be actively loving people? So when we go into interviews for prospective jobs, what people want to know is, what have you done? What have you accomplished? What's on your resume? Talk to me about your production. Talk to me about what you're producing. And those are great questions. And when we talked to each other this morning, I said, hey, what did you do this week? You said, Ben, what did you do this week? Those are great questions, but we never ask each other. And it may even be weird to begin asking each other. We never go, how's your love? But that's exactly what God wants to know. Right? We can't escape this. We can't go, well, of course we know the two commandments. That's elementary. Well, why are we so terrible at living it out then? If it's so basic and we've heard it so much, why are we not good at living this out? We can go to other places in the scripture and see that this is the great value. If you, if you are married or you've, you've attended your own wedding or you've attended someone else's wedding, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 read, Right? And you get to the end and someone and the pastor goes, uh, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Paul would say things in that chapter like, hey, it doesn't matter what knowledge I gain. If I have not love, I am nothing. I'm like a clanging gong or a clanging cymbal. And so he's going, it doesn't matter what point you get to in your spirituality. If you don't have love, you forfeit everything else. But again, remember, we're talking about this active love, this, this love that we're actually spending time loving people. Listen to what a guy named Richard Swenson, a couple of quotes here. Here's what he said in his book, Margin. See if these resonate with you. I know, I know it does with me. He says, progress kept telling us to search for buried treasure inside bank vaults, while all the time God had it buried in the heart of our neighbor. Love that quote. We're going, I got to do more. I don't have time for you. I got to do more. And, and I do have time for you if you help me do more. Right? I don't have time for you unless you can get the ball further down the field for me. I don't have time for you unless you can advance my agenda or my self-made mission. If you can do that for me, come on in. But once I get what I need from you, you're out. 
Here's what he would go on to say. He said, despite the fact that each individual is of more value than all the careers, education, and money in the universe added together and multiplied times infinity, rightly relating to others seems to be the most difficult item on the contemporary agenda. But you go, Ben, we live in San Francisco. There's people everywhere. Doesn't mean we're doing this. Like, but Ben, I live with seven other girls, and you're a girl. <laughs> Guys, that's not open. That's not like we're bidding on that, all right? In an 800-square-foot place, I've got people all around me. I can't get away from people, Ben. I can't even stand on the sidewalk at lunch in Soma because there's just so many people, and yet we could be com- completely, lonely and l- completely lonely and living out none of this. Living out none of this. And I want to get back on the margin page with this whole idea of making time for people. Here's what I want to say. This is just for me, so I don't have an author that you can look at. I guess you need to look right here. A lack of margin in our lives could be showing us that we're great at using people, but not so great at loving them. A lack of margin in our lives could show us that we're great at using people, but not so great at loving them. Again, we want people, if they can help us accomplish what we're going after. And that's part of it, right? I mean, I'm not going to hire future staff members at our church if they're not going to help our church accomplish the mission. But I want a whole lot more out of my staff members than that. 9.30, I had the great privilege of standing up here with Tim and Kristen Milner and dedicating little Sophia. And, and you've got to know, part of that relationship for us is that I baptized Kristen as a college student when I was a college pastor for her. I did their wedding and and I happened to be there the afternoon. They brought this little girl into the world. They're people that God's put within my circle. And it's precious time. But I've got to make time for them. And not just for what Tim can do for us, though he does a lot. And there's times where I have to go, hey, man, I've, I've got to quit asking some things out of you. And I just need to invest in the relationship. I assume you guys saw the letter from the former employee of Goldman Sachs this week. Some of you at least. If you don't know, one of the top executives, he left Goldman Sachs. And I'm not saying... This is not a reflection on them. This is a reflection. My reflection is on what his words were about their business. And he said essentially that they never, they, they quit caring about the client and whatever would advance the cause of Goldman Sachs, really the profitability thing, uh, the, the, the client basically was sacrificed because of that big value. And listen, we can point to them and get upset, but that's the way the whole world works, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, they, that guy got a little bit gutsy. <laughs> but so much of our world works like that, right? Come into my life if you can do something for me. Otherwise, I don't have time for you. And I'm guilty of that, right? You're guilty of that. But what's crazy to me is that sometimes we allow people to come into that inner circle of our lives that were never intended to be there. Never intended to be there. There are times where I'm telling my kids I've got to go to this really important meeting, and the truth is the meeting is not that important. Now, I do have to do some. I try to help my family. They're here at 930. I try to, I try to help them understand we have seasons. There's, Dad's going to have an intense season the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to go do this fun thing. I'll take a couple of days off. I, I try to help them understand that there are seasons. But there are times in my life where I literally am pretending is that things out, outside my family and my friendships are urgently important, and the reality is they're not always that important. I have a pastor friend in New York City. He talks about giving the second shift what you give the first shift. It's a great concept. Here's this concept that all of us give our employers, people that aren't supposed to be in that inner circle sometimes. Sometimes they are, but sometimes God hasn't designed them. We're giving them our best energy, our best effort, sometimes even our best time. And then we get home on the second shift and we got nothing to give. Think about the dichotomy of that. That we have people that aren't supposed to be in that inner place. Hopefully you work with people that God's put there, right? But some of you just work, and that's what the job God's given you, but he doesn't want them to be at that part of the relationship with you. And so think about that concept. Like, think about, my, I'll just use my own example. I mean, hypothetical, I've never done it. 
lying. Um, I, I have done it. So I, I give my best. I, I, I get here early in the morning. I think of strategy and I think of vision and I meet with you guys that are future leaders and I, and I do a small group and I help my staff think, okay, how can we rally around? Let's read this book together. Here's this great idea. What if we did this? What if we added a six o'clock service? I'm on fire thinking about those things and I get home and I just want to sit on the couch. Think about that. God's put some people first place and they're getting the last bit of our effort, the last bit of our focus, the last bit of our time, and the last bit of our energy. How do we begin to reorient our lives around what really matters? How do we begin to think, okay, who, who, who are these people? And remember, you can't, there's not 50 people in this circle, by the way. All right? That's not my focus this morning. This is not the crowd deal. I love you all. I hope you love every person in this room in, in that kind of God-loving everybody kind of way. But you can't have every person in this room, and I can't have every person in this room in that circle. So be wise with who, who's in there. Be wise with how you evaluate it. Here's what Randy Frazee said in his book, Making Room for Life. So true of many of us. He says, we strive to extend the hours of daylight and starve ourselves of wonderful relationship time so we can get more done. So we can get more done. And again, let me go back. God wants us to be productive. I think part of what he wants to use is other people in our lives. Let's get it done together, right? When we get things done together, margin increases, right? When we get things done together, we can actually enjoy the loving relationship even while we're doing things actively. But let's be honest for, I was going to say, let's be honest for a couple of minutes this morning. Let's be honest the whole time this morning, all right? If we as parents say that our kids are that important and most valuable to us, but our life shows something different, let's just be honest about it. Let me quit telling my kids, I love you, but I love you, but I got to, but I love, I, I, but yeah, but I got, I, I, you don't understand, man. This iPhone, it's, it's got so much great, important information for me. I know you got a baseball game. I know you want to play. I know you just use the bathroom on yourself. I mean, I, I know what's going on. I mean, whatever it is. And we go, but I've got something more important. I love you, but, or if we tell our spouses all the time, no, I really care most about you. Well, why are you staying after when you don't have to? Why can't you put the computer down? No, but I, I do, I, I, I love you. What, what did you say? With our friends. Well, sometimes we go through these seasons, right? Where there's more demanded of us and we got to stay late and we got to travel and we got to do all this stuff. The reality is for some of us, we're going, hey, you're valuable, you're valuable. And nothing else looks like you're valuable though. With our parents, some of you need to just take time and call a mom or dad today. They know you're busy, so they don't call you anymore because they're tired of getting a busy signal, tired of getting your voicemail. Now, some of you have moms that call you seven times a day. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't point to your spouse. But let's just be honest. And maybe the honesty, I don't think it stops there, but maybe it's just going, God, what's true today is that I don't value the people that you've placed in my circle that I, the way I should value them. But what can also be true is you expressing to God, but God, I really want to. God, I really want to carve out that space. Because here's what I'm going to talk about all morning, the rest of the time. First, we've got to change our value, line up our value with what God's value is. And then what we've got to do is change our calendar. We've, it's, it's very, it's spiritual and it's super practical. The spiritual part is we need to repent. We need to go, God, that's not my desire. God, I'd rather just give my wife flowers and not have to listen to her talk for two hours. I'm the only one bold enough to say that. I'm not talking my wife specifically. I'm talking about, you know, the wife in general. <laughs> Trust me, I'm serious. But we go, how can I make up for it? Or with the kids, we're like, oh, I'll, I'll take them to something that sounds fun. Or worse, I'll pay somebody else to take them to something that sounds fun. That's not love. 
That's not love. It's bribery. Who do you value? What are you going to change so that they know it? Listen to what God does when he loves. 1 John 4, 9 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you hear that? In this, the love of God was made manifest, meaning the love of God, it wasn't abstract. It wasn't ambiguous. It wasn't distant. It wasn't God's in the clouds talking about how much he loved us. God's love, because it was true love, it had to do something. It had to manifest itself. And if you and I are going to claim to love people that God's put into our lives in that close proximity way, your love's going to have to manifest itself. Otherwise, you're just talk. Otherwise, I'm just talk. How is your love? How are you going to reevaluate? How are you going to create space and margin so that your love might manifest itself? So that it might show up. Jesus, after he's just washed the feet of the disciples in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Here's one of the last things he leaves his disciple with. Hear this, please, church. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And and this is killer verse right here, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Whatever comes next, we need to pay attention to, right? What's he going to say by this? If you get a lot of knowledge about this matter, if you go on 18 mission trips a year, if you become a leader, if you never miss a Sunday. No, what does he say by this? All people will know that you're my disciples. Remember, he's talking just to the 12 there. If you love one another. Somehow it can't be the love that's a feeling. It can't be a love that's just talked about. It's got to be a love that has actions put on display. And what the, Jesus says, not just like even a good Bible writer, but Jesus says by this, they're going to know people out in the world when they see the way we interact together, when they see that we sacrifice for each other, when they see, it's so funny. My, my wife is just, she's not in the room. She's doing such an amazing job of, 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 of taking care of, of friends that my boys go to school with. And, and another mom that's there that's really perplexed by the whole church thing. Shauna was taking a friend home of, of ours uh, on Thursday from school because his dad had a job interview. And this other mom goes, how do you do that? And Shauna's going, this is not effort for me. This is just love. How do you do that? I've got a close friend of mine. We had a Little League parade two Saturdays ago. And uh, you have to have a truck, which is really interesting, right? There are places we've all lived in the U.S. somewhere where trucks were everywhere. Not so much in San Francisco. And so you see these U-Haul rental trucks and you see these uh, like city car share trucks and the zip car trucks and, uh, you know, and stuff. And, and so a, a friend of mine allowed us to use his truck. He had had a crazy busy week, but because of the relationship we have, he didn't see it as, hey, this is terrible. Although I felt bad. I just needed to start going, hey, I received that. Let's enjoy it. This is what it's about. We had a girl in our church who's a leader who's in the room this morning. She said, hey, I've got this super, she didn't say this, but it is. It's a, I've got this super nice car, tried to sell it, couldn't sell it. I can only assume that God wants me to use it for the people in my life. And so she's going, hey, here are the keys to my car. Do you know somebody that needs it? I don't know what love's going to do, but here's what I want to do that I've never done in a service before. And if it doesn't go well, I'll never do it again. Brad's going to come play some good mood music here for a few minutes. All right. The lights are going to go low. No, they're not going to go low, actually. Here's what I'm going to do. And I know that's a little bit risky. Okay. I'm going to give you some space to just evaluate and think about this really along the two things. Where's your value? Just be honest. Let's be honest. I said, like, I'm not that loving. If, if that's you, just go, that's not, that's me. And, and say that to God. We're not going to have you like stand up and admit and confess and all that. Be willing to just sit and pray about that. Like, just go, God, I need to value and think, let, God will bring people to mind. 
Maybe it's relationships you've gotten out of you need to re-enter. Maybe there's new relationships that God wants you to, to engage in, right? So maybe just sit there and pray. But another thing that's a little bit risky, it's going to give you time for those of you that, ADD, that have ADD, you're going to love this. I'm going to let you move around the room during church. It's going to be awesome. So here, here's what I'm going to give you time to do. I'm going to give you time to reevaluate. And even if there's a spouse or significant other in the room you want to have this conversation with right now, if there's a new friend that you've noticed somewhere, if you want to get on your phone, if you don't check email, and get out your calendar and go, hey, I can actually cancel that. I can reschedule that. I can have an extended lunch with this friend. Why was I only going to do it for 25 minutes? I can take an hour and a half. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm going to give you time right now to do whatever that looks like for you, okay? If there's a guy or girl in here that you want to know, would they go out with you? Um, this is the time for that, all right? And so, uh, but seriously, I'm going to give you space right now. I'll let you know how I did it last time at 930. My family was sitting on the front row. I just went down. Uh, my two oldest kids were there. My wife, we said, hey, how can we begin to do this? Guys, we know that Legos is fun and baseball is fun and video games are fun. But we said, how can we begin to do things where we're actually actively loving each other? Those things can be part of that, but... And so it's cool to hear my eight-year-old say, hey, Dad, I think we should like, go to the park and just spend time walking and talking about our days and how love's showing up in our lives. So I'm just going to give you space to do that now. Don't feel, don't feel weird. If you're a guest, this doesn't always happen. You can just get on your phone and pretend like you're doing something important. All right? So, and then I'll come close us out in three or four minutes. So feel free to take that time now.